Welcome to the Alliance Specialty Podcast, a show dedicated to risk management and professional solutions. Here's your host, Brian Dumpy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Alliance Specialty Podcast. This is Brian Dunphy, the national leader of our Management Professional Solutions Group. I'm pleased to be joined today by two experts in what is a very topical and current field for everyone in cyber liability insurance. That's Bobby Horn and David Finns. Bobby is our national co-product leader for cyber liability, and David is our in-house cyber claims expert. Guys, thanks for joining me. So Bobby, let's talk first. Obviously, ransomware, 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 and more ransomware. We seem to be getting bludgeoned over the head on a daily, if not near hourly basis with events happening across the spectrum of businesses around the world. Uh, We've seen CNA, a leading insurer, suffer an incident. Uh, we've seen the solar winds back in the middle of the winter. Talk about some of the stuff that we're seeing and, and some of the other topical issues that are going on right now out there. Yeah, Brian, you hit it on the head. I think ransomware is certainly the, the, the topic of the day. Um, you know, with, with the way these bad actors are getting into networks and demanding high ransom amounts, it's really hard for carriers to keep up with uh, the demand. I mean, it's so, you know, where historically we saw you know, low five or six figure uh, ransomware demands, we are routinely seeing seven and in some case, eight figure demands, um, whether it was CNA a few weeks ago, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the solar winds attack, you know, I think there was something like 18,000 different companies that were impacted by that breach. Uh, and more, more recently with colonial, right. We're seeing it, it hit every industry class, you know, historically it, you know, there was, it was manufacturing and, and healthcare were the traditional uh, targets of these bad actors, but uh, you know, we're seeing it really hit almost every industry class. So while manufacturing still leads the way as far as targets, you know, healthcare is always there. Professional services firms are seeing more and more attacks. And now we're seeing it bleed into, you know, municipalities and, and public public utilities. I think the, the pipeline attack was certainly one that brought some heightened awareness to the issue that maybe hadn't been there previously from, from certain sectors uh, because of the catastrophic effect that something like that could have downstream to just the broader economy. And, and David, as we sit here in the wake of that, as, as that issue is being remediated and as the pipeline has come back online now, uh, thankfully for, for everyone, those of us here, especially located on the East Coast, talk a little bit, if you can, about how that claim would have played out. Obviously, we're not involved in it, but from your perspective, what would you want to have seen done there? Okay, so the cyber extortion insuring agreement within a cyber policy is designed to respond to this sort of event. And what that coverage includes is the cost of hiring a threat consultant to assess the situation, try to identify the MO of the threat actor, determine whether they actually have the means to carry out their threat. Is it credible? What is, the, uh, what is known about the method of attack? What data do they actually manage to uh, get access to? What operational systems did they compromise? Is there a decryption key available? Does law enforcement have a way for a business to deal with the response to this incident without having to pay the ransom? 
And then once all of this has been assessed as a last resort to negotiate a ransom payment with the threat actor and to try to get that figure down as low as possible, and then to make arrangements for payment, typically via cryptocurrency through something called a Bitcoin wallet to protect the businesses' financial assets from being exposed any further. So that's how the cyber policy responds to the threat itself. But again, the damage that is caused by a ransomware attack could ripple through other components of a cyber policy. So if data is compromised, that becomes a breach response issue. If there is uh, an outage to the company's network, that becomes a business interruption issue. If data has been corrupted, that's a data restoration issue. So potentially a ransomware event could ripple through an entire policy. And I think the other aspect too, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the the reality is that for an event like the pipeline incident, and even for other less consequential businesses, carriers may not even know the true breadth of what they will have to pay out through ultimately those immediately impacted businesses, counterparties and contracts through contingent business interruption losses. There's, there's so many different ways the carrier side of, of the equation can be forced to pay out large sums of losses. It's not just a direct ransomware payment, correct? That's right. I mean, part of what we learned from solar winds is the systemic risk associated with having, you know, a relatively small or finite number of IT vendors responsible for so many different business organizations operations. And as a result of that, sort of the contingent loss that arises when one company's network is breached and how that affects uh, supply chain, how that affects vendor management. And that's why there's a lot of attention to those issues right now for our clients in terms of the underwriting process to be able to show uh, what safeguards they have in place and how they vet their vendors, and their, their, their service providers that help keep their operations running. Yeah. And so all of this, Bobby, right, has brought on a, a, a new level, new heightened level of scrutiny through the underwriting process on every risk that we bring to market and that insurers see broadly from all brokers. What are some of the key areas that underwriters are really focused in on, to David's point about really analyzing the risk further and, and, and making sure that, that everyone is putting forth the best posture they can to provide ample defense against intrusions? Yeah, I think it, it varies with each carrier, but they are certainly all collectively, I think, focusing on, on several different uh, controls that, that they see as being kind of the gateway for these bad actors to get into networks. So I think, you know, primarily multi-factor authentication, right? That's, that is the, you know, the, the, the baseline of what you need to have in place to get a policy, uh, or at least a policy with, with good terms and conditions. Um, so by multi-factor authentication, referring to the idea of uh, logging into your network, either through you know, VPN or some sort of you know, remote desktop protocol where you have a password and then uh, separately through either a text or a phone call, you get a login code that you then get into your, your network. So we're seeing carriers require MFA at a minimum. Um, and be beyond that, uh, where, where it was originally just MFA to get into the network, 
they are now asking for even a second step of, of MFA for privileged access. So the concern there is if somebody were to get into the network through the basic MFA, just into the, the email, once they're in their network, they've got free reign over, over all the different applications available. So underwriters are really focusing, okay, now that you have MFA for your email, do you have it for all your critical applications? And it's, it's, it's a second step that they are, they are saying, well, that's what we're going to require. Uh, and, you know, they continue to move the goalposts, so to speak, on us from an underwriting perspective where, you know, in January and February, it was it was these requirements. And then as they've dug more into their claims and, and where they're seeing the claims, they're expanding those questions even more. Um, certainly patch management. How often are you patching your your networks? You know, there's obviously updates that the software companies put out on a, on a weekly or monthly basis. How often are you updating your systems? Uh, are you backing up your data? Are you backing it up offline? Is it separate from your basic servers? Is that information encrypted? And that all goes to the idea of if you are locked out, are you able to get back online more quickly than if you don't have backups? And that's really where, you know, David mentioned the business interruption piece and um, not being able to get back online, you're almost forced to pay that ransomware demand uh, because you have no other options. So, you know, certainly MFA, uh, patching processes, and, and backup procedures are, are really critical as far as what the underwriter is looking for when they look at risk. You know, again, it, it varies with each carrier and, and, and certain carriers are taking different taxes how they want to approach it. You know, we're seeing co-insurance provisions being put on policies and whether it has to do with you know, business interruption co-insurance or if it's you know, co-insurance with respect to any ransomware loss, you know, again, it's going to vary by the carrier, but they're all kind of doing their own thing, what they see, uh, you know, the best way to, to mitigate their losses that they're seeing on a, on a weekly basis, it seems. And if I could just add to that, that while the underwriters are definitely imposing more stringent requirements uh, in light of some of the recent ransomware attacks, many of the insurers are also offering uh, discounts or credits toward uh, pre-incident uh, security assessments and other types of services that enable policyholders to get a sense of where they do have good controls in place and where there's room for improvement. And not only does that actually help safeguard them against an attack, but it enables them to present themselves as a stronger risk to the underwriters. And so you know, policyholders should definitely contact their brokers to find out about how to avail themselves uh, of those services that are, as I said, often provided through the insurers with trusted vendors where the underwriters feel comfortable helping to defray some of the costs. That's a great point, David. Thank you. Bobby, pivoting back to the market, obviously carriers have to respond to this in some way, like you mentioned, by adding certain tighter restrictions to terms and conditions up to and including co-insurance. What about capacity deployment in the market broadly and, and pricing and just upfront retention on a loss? What are we seeing carriers do there? Yeah, again, it varies by carrier how they're looking at it, you know, from a retention and premium standpoint. But I mean, certainly uh, we are seeing rate increases across the board. Even counts with zero claims, we are seeing at a minimum 25 to 30% increases just off the bat. Along with that is increase in retentions. And then also on the business interruption piece, an increase in the waiting hour. So, you know, where you may have historically had an eight hour waiting period for business interruption loss, we're seeing 12 hours, 18 hours, and then in some cases on the contingent business interruption, 24 hours before the policy will respond. So, you know, and that and that's as far as the rate increases, that that's you know the 20, 30% is certainly on the light side. We've had 
we've had accounts in the healthcare space with upwards of 300% increases. And that's really a function of the claims activity in that space specifically. And also it goes into the controls you have, right? The, the better controls you have, the less of an increase you're going to see. You're certainly going to see an increase, but it, a lot will depend on how, how buttoned up you are and what your cyber hygiene is. And so, you know, as David mentioned, working with those carriers that are being a little more creative in their underwriting and, and maybe providing some services to the clients, they can implement some of these things, whether before binding or maybe midterm, we can negotiate some of those you know, more restrictive coverage items off the policy. Yeah, you know, certainly I don't think any, any carrier has not taken some sort of position from an increased rate perspective or larger retentions to, to get their books back in line. Thanks, Bobby. So David, just some closing thoughts. Where do you think things are headed from a insured perspective, claim perspective, uh, broader market perspective over the next three to six months from now? Well, I think the underwriters are definitely getting more sophisticated and drilling down into the security controls of their policyholders. And this is really where the role of the broker comes in. I think what we're going to see in the months to come is more differentiation of risk. So those organizations that are able to show their work and demonstrate that they have implemented some of the controls that Bobby had spoken about are going to be able to enjoy more favorable coverage terms. And that those that have not are going to see the greatest increases in, in terms of pricing and also perhaps even in form of declinations of coverage either in its entirety or around cyber extortion. So this is where it's really critical that insureds collaborate with their broker partners to help identify areas where there's room for improvement and where they can demonstrate that they have good controls in place. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And Bobby, I'd ask you the same from an insurer perspective. Obviously, we don't have a crystal ball. Can't predict what's going to happen really in, in any real way, given the fact that this, this market and this changes near day on a daily basis. Um, there's always something new, a bigger, a bigger ransomware event is coming down the pipe. We probably just haven't heard about it yet. No pun intended. Um, but what do you, what do you think is going to be looming for us in the brokerage community and, and for our clients? Yeah, I think we have at least another 12 months of this hardening market. Um, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon, especially just with, with the amount of, of attacks that we're seeing on a, on a it seems like on a weekly basis until the carriers are able to make it clear to the their insurers what needs to be in place in order to have a policy uh, a good policy with with good terms and conditions that's going to respond appropriately it's going to take it's going to take you know the the work of the carriers the brokers the insurers all working together to make sure that uh, you know as david mentioned they're they're doing what needs to be done to you know beyond even insurance right just being make themselves a better cyber risk you know i just think the way this product was historically priced was just unsustainable. You, know, you had million dollar policies going for $1,500, $5 million policies going for $15,000. In the grand, in the long, in the long, the long game, that just was not sustainable. And so now, now that these claims are coming home to roost, we're seeing that, you know, these books are on, these cyber carrier books are on fire. And so I think we're just, we're seeing a new floor being set as far as minimum premiums, minimum controls, minimum retentions, you know, before we kind of see a leveling off. Those insurers that do a better job of, of getting out in front from a cost perspective and spending the money on IT and 
hiring the, the best people on the InfoSec side, they'll be the beneficiaries of, of better terms and conditions. So I think we're still in it for another 12 months. And look, this is just kind of the way I think the cyber product is going to be for, for the foreseeable future. There's going to be the bad actors are going to find a way in uh, and exploit certain things. And then, you know, the insurers will figure out how to get that under control. And then there'll be, you know, some other new, you know, new threat, whether it's a group or, or, or individuals uh, that'll, you know, exploit companies, you know, going forward. I think we're just going to see, it's going to be very, a lot more cyclical going forward than it has been historically. Yeah, I, I, I think we can all agree we're in a very perilous time right now as, as brokers and for our buyers, as the market continues to shift and the, the threat landscape continues to evolve. And, and sadly, right now, it certainly seems like it is at least a half step, if not a whole step ahead of us. Um, guys, thank you very much for your time. That does it for this edition of Alliance Specialty Podcasts. Please feel free to reach out to any of your local Alliance contacts to discuss with them how to find a more rewarding way to manage risk, specifically as it relates to cyber. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And for more information, go to www.alliance.com.